So our church offices at Ethos are located right on the corner of a pretty big intersection. Um, it's one of the main drags into downtown, and we are literally right on the corner. And it's a four-lane street right in front of us. And um, some of our desks are about 15 feet away from the street. And there's big glass panels there, so you can see a lot of uh, different things. It is prime real estate for people watching. You get all types of characters that walk up and down that street. You occasionally, every day you'll hear some car horns. Sometimes, maybe once a week, you hear a car skidding and it draws your attention. You look out, what's going on? And Monday was no exception. So on Monday morning, around 10.30 or so, um, we're just working, doing our normal thing. The rush hour traffic's died down. And uh, we hear some honking, no big deal. We hear cars skidding, so a few of us are perking up. And then we um, hear some expletives being shouted. And so that's when you take your headphones off and you look out the window and you watch what's going on. And there is a car that has its hazard light off or going off. And the driver is out of her window trying to explain what's going on, but the people are not having it. Um, the people around her are just berating her. Um, they are telling her she's a terrible person, her children have no future, you know, all the legitimate things we say in that moment. And um, the people are just furious. A car so much so that a car bumps her and then speeds off. Other cars are just stopping, laying on their horns, and it's just this spectacle. It's like, wow, they are ticked off. And there was an open lane to the right that they could have passed by it the whole time. It was really fascinating to watch. So we walked outside and we said, hey, what's going on? And, and she was just out of gas. So she was having a, she was having a bad day. And um, it was such a, like a microcosm of where we find ourselves so often in our culture. They were so busy, so stressed about the next meeting. I don't know where those people were heading, but it was obviously deeply important that that 10-second delay was going to ruin their day, and they needed to let that woman know that that was a problem. And it was amazing. And I was like, we find ourselves here all the time, and it's, it's no reason that people ask, hey, what is, what is the meaning of life? Like, what is my purpose? Um, what is this all about? If my hope is staked in, in me getting to a certain place at a certain time, we ask these questions. I bring this up because Ephesians chapter 2, 7 through 10, um, is a declaration that in Jesus we have a purpose that speaks to the culture around us, which is starving for meaning and identity. And before we jump into the text, you need to understand what's been going on in Ephesians chapter 2. And so a week before Easter, Dave taught verse 1 through 5 of Ephesians chapter 2, where Paul, the writer of this um, letter, who's writing to a church of Christians, and he's saying, before Jesus, you were dead. It's like you were dead in your sins. Because of your choices, your life was corroding. The lives around you were corroding. And like you had no eternal future of a hope. It said, before Jesus, you were dead. But God was not satisfied with that. That God loved you so much that he overcame all of the barriers to take on your punishment so that you could have his blessing. That's the declaration of verse 1 through 5. It's this incredible love story where God is saying, I didn't want you to stay in the situation you were in so much so that I saved you from death. And then last week, Aaron taught us out of verse um, six where we're not just saved from death, but we were saved into a relationship where we have been seated with Christ. And the idea that he talked about last week is that we have an established and firm position as God's friend, that we are literally seated, like in a place that's not gonna be taken away, that we can know God. And it's this beautiful idea that we're not just saved from death, but we're saved into a relationship. In verse 7 through 9, or 7 through 10 that we're going to be in today, is that we are not just saved from death or saved into a relationship, but we are also saved for a purpose. So let's read the text together, starting in verse 7, Ephesians chapter 2. In order that in the coming ages, God might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. 
And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. And so Paul starts off by saying, the purpose for which you have been saved for is universal. So verses seven through nine, we're gonna start in, but we're gonna spend the bulk of our time in verse 10. But seven through nine declares that we all have a universal purpose, and it's for the coming ages. Literally, he's saying that this is from this point forward that you're, you have a purpose. And the purpose he unpacks by saying, and that God might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed to his kindness in Christ, to us in Christ Jesus. And it's this idea, I love that the pressure is on God to display his grace and kindness. The idea here is that we are the inst- that people who have given their life to Jesus, who are saved from death, and saved into a relationship, that we are instruments in God's hand where he is playing a song of his grace and kindness for those who are longing to hear it. I love this. It's an incredible picture is that we get to be um, the guitar in God's hand. When there's an incredible guitar player, nobody praises the guitar for being so good. People praise the guitar player who's making it sing. And the idea here is that God is the one that is declaring to a world that is hurting, that is broken, that, that his grace and his kindness, and we get to participate in that that he might show. And he continues on in verse eight. It says, for it, is you, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And he goes on to say that, that God is the one that is showing through your lives. This is your universal purpose. But it's done through grace. And the song that we're singing is that it is, it is not my job, or it is not my um, doing that the reason I'm in this position. It's not your doing. It's like Paul, all throughout Ephesians and all the letters he writes, and the gospel is just full of declarations that salvation, that the only person who gets credit for salvation is God, and that his people, those who have claimed it, rejoice it and celebrate it because they say, it's not mine, it's God's. It's an unbelievable declaration. I know this is up in the clouds, this part. So far, seven through nine, it's like your universal purpose is to show the kindness and grace of God. But then he gets really, really specific in verse 10 where we're gonna spend the bulk of our time where he says, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see, we're not just given a universal purpose, but we are given a unique purpose. And this is an awesome thing. Some of your Bibles may say, for we are God's masterpiece, that we are, and when you think of a masterpiece, you think of a work of art that somebody has spent a ton of time laboring over, expressing their feelings, expressing their emotion, maybe expressing a story, but it's put on display for others to see. It's not, art is not something that's mass produced. It's something that is done intricately and involved in. I love this, that we are God's handiwork. Thinking about that word that God has used his hands for those of us who are in Christ Jesus to work on our lives so that we are a beautiful masterpiece, that we are not set on assembly line and just manufactured to be something, but that God has been intimately involved in the details in our life for a purpose. So he can use your challenges. He can use the situations of hardship or different things in your life, not that he caused, but those are things that he can redeem and use. And it's this beautiful story where he's talking about how we are handcrafted. And the irony is that while we did nothing to earn our favor with God, but God has been doing a lot to work on us to make us into his vessels and his masterpieces. But he keeps going and he says, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So for the, per- the unique purpose that you have been fashioned for is to do good works. And so, so what is a good work? Like, what does that even mean? And the idea here is that I've 
kind of interpreting this to be that any step in the kingdom of God, so it's what we're talking about when, and what we mean by the, G, uh, the kingdom of God is that it's something that Jesus started, something that Jesus revealed, that it's not just something that we're waiting for in the future, but it's a reality right now that God is calling us to live into. So we, as we look through the gospel, we see Jesus heal sick people and say, the kingdom of God is at hand. See Jesus free people who are in oppression, who are in, um, in all types of bondage. And he always says, the kingdom of God is at hand. When Jesus cares for little kids and he cares for the poor and he finds the outcasts and gives them identity, he's saying, the kingdom of God is at hand. And for Christians to live out these, this reality here that we have been fashioned by God to do good works, we are taking steps in the kingdom of God. And sometimes this looks like just revealing the identity of God in another person. So thinking back to the story I started with, with the lady who was stuck in the middle of the intersection, out of gas, having a bad day, you know, she didn't need us to come and say, hey, you should really fill up your gas tank. You know, you should really next time think about maybe before you go, check your, uh, your fuel level. What she needed was that she needed um, just to, to be noticed. Like she was being destroyed by the people around her, taking away her identity. Um, she just needed somebody to say, hey, you know, I've been there, or that, that stinks. Hey, you need some help? How can I help you out with this? And so I said, yeah, that, that is a good work. But if you start thinking about good works, you can immediately get overwhelmed because I don't know if about you, but I'm a needy person. I have a, lot of, I have a lot of baggage in my life, and I need a lot of help, and I'm surrounded by people full of baggage and who need a lot of help. And so you can get overwhelmed here to think, wow, so we're created to do good works? So does that mean that I just set everything aside in my life, and all I do is, is serve other people and never do anything else? But I think that's a temptation to see here, but I think as we continue the verse, Paul will answer that, and it says, I love this, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we are God's handiwork created to do good works, but the idea is that God is going before us to set us up for success. Isaac Jones um, taught this last year at Hillsborough Village, and he used a great analogy that I'm totally stealing from him. He said, we are playing t-ball. Like, the idea, what's the difference between t-ball and baseball? In baseball, you have a pitcher that is spending his entire life trying to figure out how to make sure that people don't get hits. So sometimes he's going to throw fastballs, sometimes he's going to throw the curveball, sometimes he's going to throw a changeup, and sometimes he'll even throw it to where you can't hit it just to throw you off. And it's the idea that there's somebody opposing you trying to make sure that you won't hit the ball. But in t-ball, the coach will literally bring out a tee, set it on the ground, raise it to the optimal height, place a baseball there, and just ask you to swing. And I love this picture. Because the idea is that we are created to do good works that God has gone before us and set up. And God is a really good coach. Because you might step up into the batter's box with the ball there, ready to swing, but you're like, I don't know how. I don't know a good stance. And God is there to show you, hey, here's what you do. And when you whiff, because you can whiff even when the ball's there, trust me, I've done it many times, um, you realize that God is a good coach. He's not going to berate you. He's going to say, hey, here's how you do it. Here's how you do this. And it's this idea that God is setting the ball on the tee, and he keeps doing that for us. And so the question I wrestled with, and I'm realizing this, and I read this text, and I look at my life, and I'm like, well, how am I missing the ball so often? How is it that if it's this easy, if the ball's right here, how come I'm either, I don't know how to swing, maybe I'm not even at the ballpark. How do I get there? Like, what happens here? And I've been thinking about this, and I realized that there are some barriers that um, hold me back from living into my purpose that God has saved me for. Um, And so here are some of the barriers I've identified in my life that have kept me from either making a swing or making contact or whatever it is. So some of the barriers to the purpose that God has placed on a tee in front of me, some is I just really enjoy being comfortable. 
Um, there is a lot about my life that I just enjoy, which is great. That's a good thing. God's, you know, blessed me in a lot of ways, but it's so easy for me to be in a routine. Like, you know, I love the things I love to eat, the books I like to read, the people I like to hang out with, the movies I like to watch. Those are good things, but sometimes I can let that happen. I can just be so focused on my world and my priorities and my comfort that it's easy for me not to ever step into and look for an opportunity to do a good work that God might have set up. Another is that I'm just, and I think we can all relate to this, is that we're busy. We are a culture that is running from one thing to the next, so much so that the idea of slowing down to step in to do something that God's placed before us, where would it fit on the calendar? It's a question. But I think even two more realities that have really stuck home with me that I've been thinking about uh, is the one-day theory, and I am plagued by this. And the idea here is that, well, one day it's just going to be easier to do it. So before I was married, I used to think, well, one day when I'm married, it's just going to be easier to, to do this certain thing. Or maybe it's when you're in school, it's like, well, when, when I'm out of school, I'm going to have more time to look for the things that God has set up on a tee for me. Or maybe it's when I have more money, it's going to be easier to be generous. When I have a lot more money, I can, I can sacrificially give then. Or it's when I have more leadership or I have more opportunity or more influence in people's lives. And we keep passing the ball down the field. And this is something I do all the time. And, and don't hear me by saying it's bad to dream about big opportunities to do good things. But I think sometimes that can cause us to be paralyzed in the moment to, and miss out the ball that's on, that's on a tee right in front of us. I think it's an easy thing to do. And another one I'm prone for is I'm a big talker. And so sometimes I think I equate talking with doing. And so I think we, as a culture, we love to share our opinions or share things we agree with, especially on social media or um, in different outlets. We love to get our voice out there on our platform. And sometimes I think I equate this with doing good work, is that bringing awareness, which is a step in the right direction. But sometimes I think if we just share something or just talk about something or just hold a meeting on a subject and we never take action afterwards, we're not living into the purpose that we've been destined for. And that can be a paralyzing thing for living into the purpose that God has handcrafted us for. And I was thinking about this. It's like, what's the point of a declaration? It's following through with action. Like this is, a, this is a passage of declaration that God has set up opportunities on a t-ball tee for us to swing at. But how absurd it would be if we were a people that just declared something and never took a swing. It'd be like if uh, Thomas Jefferson wrote the Declaration of Independence and the Second Continental Congress sent it over to King George. What would happen if they never took action on that declaration? We would be living in England right now. Like if they had just sat back and never fought the war, if nothing had ever happened, it would be a declaration without follow through. Or if Tim Cook from Apple would stand up tomorrow and present the iPhone 8 and say, the iPhone 8 is going to change your life. It's going to add a 25th hour to your day. It's going to raise your children for you. It's going to get them, it's going to pay for college. It's going to do all those things. But the product never came out. Like, how would that declaration mean anything? And I think we have to take a swing. And so here's some ways that I've learned how to take a swing. And I think one of the first things is we have to discover what it is that is our purpose, because we have to move from declaration into action. So how do we discover our unique purpose that God has been working and handcrafting us on? And I think through three things, that, three steps that kind of work together um, to help us discover our purpose. And think about this as a Venn diagram. So we have three circles that work together. And in the middle of those three circles is the T that God has set up for us. The first is just intimacy with Jesus. 
We say this all the time at church, and I know it sounds like a broken record, but this is what we see modeled in the life of Jesus and in the church. And we, we just have to realize that, and even Jesus himself says this in John chapter 15, that he says that he is the vine, that we are the branches. And apart from him, we can't bear fruit. And the idea is that you can't take a, just a branch from a, um, an olive tree and just set it aside and expect it to grow olives. It's got to be attached to the tree in order to bear fruit. And I think stepping into the purposes that God has laid out for us, we have to be connected to Jesus. And so this is what it looks like for me just practically right now as I'm trying to figure out how to do this in my own life. Um, I have to start my day by confessing that apart from Jesus, I cannot see the ball that he's placed on a tee in front of me and take a swing. That I can bear no fruit by myself because I have tried a whole lot in my life. Um, I have a lot of dreams, a lot of things that I want to do programs I want to lead and things, and particularly with student ministry, working with middle school and high school students, there's a lot of thing I, things that I dream up and want to be a part of, which will be meaningless if I don't invite Jesus into those things, if they won't accomplish the purpose. And so some practical steps on how I am trying to do that that might be helpful for you is there's two tools that have been super helpful just to kind of jumpstart my day that I like to do in the morning. Um, sometimes, and I'm not perfect at this, but it just works out sometimes. But um, the first is My Utmost for His Highest by Oswald Chambers. It's a just extremely digestible book that you can read for about two minutes and kind of just it points you to the sufficiency of God or a challenge to step into that day. Another one is Morning and Evening by Charles Spurgeon. Both of these books, the same idea, is to point you to Jesus at, at different points of the day. It's just an easy step into intimacy with God. Another way just to bring about intimacy is just daily reading the Word. Sometimes this can be meditating on one verse. Sometimes it can be reading a whole book. But just having a steady diet of the word is a way to be aware of what's going on around us. Um, another one that's been really helpful for me in this season of life is that I am surrounded by noise all of the time. I think we all are. It's so easy to fill any void of silence with reading my phone, checking Instagram or Twitter. One of the best ways for me to connect with God right now is to, limp, to simply just set my phone down and go for a walk. Sometimes it's to be silent and just ask, God, do you have anything for me? And I'll just literally walk through the neighborhood or walk around work and just ask, God, do you have anything? Or sometimes it's pouring my heart out to God and different ways to bring about intimacy with God. And so that's the first circle. So the first way of discovering your purpose is intimacy with God. And the second one that goes hand in hand with that is just awareness. It's like, what is going on around you? Um, because you have to ask, where is the T? So it's asking the question, once you are in friendship with God, what does it look like for you just to ask, hey, what is right in front of me, God? And the way that I've identified this, with this the most in my life is um, by figuring out what is it that breaks my heart? Like, what is it in the world that I see? And I'm just like, there's just something wrong here. Like, this is not the way that it's supposed to be. And if I see people who are living into changing that reality, I partner with them. And if it's not, and I don't see anybody doing it, I just try. And just learning what does it look like to be aware of the things that move us. And most often, these are areas of our life that we're not very gifted in or not very talented in sometimes. But it's still, it's an opportunity when we realize something that breaks our heart. What does it look like to step into that moment? And so if we're practically, for my wife and I right now, just something that we have been living into and trying to figure out, not perfectly, but we have just been um, so kind of just beaten down by the divisions that are in our world. Like, we just live in a divided world in a hundred different ways we could list off, and all equally depressing, and just how people are against each other in a lot of different ways. And one of the ways that has really spoken to us that we have felt called into 
is just the division of um, race in our culture. And it's just really, it's just sad. And it's not just in our culture, but it's in our country. It's not just in our country, it's in our city. And it's not even just in our city, it's in our churches. Just that we are a divided people a lot of times. And that's really bothered us. And that's something that the Lord's put on our heart. And we realize, what are we doing about that? Like, what, what does that look like for us practically to step up to the plate and to take a swing if that's a tee that God's placed in front of us? And for us, and what we've identified is, how are we spending our time? So we're looking at what are our relationships look like? And we, as we looked at our relationships, we're, we're realizing, man, the majority of how we spend our time are with people just like us, that look just like us, young, white, Christian people. And I'm just realizing that, oh, this is my friend group. This is who I'm spending a lot of my time with. And as I read the scriptures and I see what Jesus says about his church and the kingdom, I realize that there's some adjustments that need to be made. And for us, we realize that we're going to have to adjust how we shift our time, how we spend um, our resource, what do we do? And so for us, that was a move to an area of the city where not everybody looks like us. And it's like, what does it look like to be a neighbor? And relationships are changing and friendships are changing. And it has been such an incredible gift and blessing just about three months in, just to sit and learn from people and to evaluate what is going on. It's something that God has highlighted, highlighted on our heart and we're trying to, trying to step into. So intimacy, awareness, and the third is just participation. Sometimes you just have to go for it. And realizing that anything worth doing is worth doing badly at the start. And you're going to be called into a lot of situations where it's going to be awkward sometimes. If, you, if your heart is broken for something and that God is placed there, sometimes you're just going to realize, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm just going to show up and see what happens. And I'm going to trust that God is going to teach me how to swing at this. And so and my encouragement for you to do this would be to find other people who are taking those same swings, who have identified the same T, and to try it with them. And so for me right now, how I'm trying to do that is I'm trying to charge through relational open doors. Like if there is an open door, even if it's a crack, I'm trying to rip the door open and enter into a relationship. And so in our neighborhood, there are a lot of people that are outside. And so it's easy to go up and talk to somebody. I'm not trying to be the annoying neighbor that every time like interrupts your conversation, stops what you're working on and has a 30 minute dialogue about what, whatever's on my mind. I'm just trying to listen. And just showing up and listening, I have learned so much and some incredible friendships have already started just by stepping into something and to say, hey, I'm not an expert here. I'm just here to learn and just be a friend. So stepping into relationship and another one, um, another way that that's worked out is I was invited to speak at an, an FCA event on a college campus that I had spent maybe an hour on in my life. I didn't know anybody there. And I showed up and I realized on the way as I was going, I was like, I'm not here just to, to give them some talk. Like, I want to really invest and get to know a few people here. So I just asked the Lord, will you highlight one or two people that I can step into a relationship with? And um, afterwards talking, after I had finished my conversation with them, um, there were two guys there that I just connected with. And we were small talking about football and different things like that. And I just realized that maybe this is the open door. And so I was like, hey, love, love to get your phone number connect with you. You seem like an awesome dude. Let me know if you ever want to grab coffee or throw the Frisbee or something like that. And so one of those conversations went super well. Like we have similar passions, similar, you know, interests and stuff like that. And I'm excited about the friendship. The other one was super awkward. Like, to be honest, we showed up for coffee. It did not, he showed up 30 minutes late. He was not interested. And I was like, oh gosh, what do I do? And it was a swing and a miss, but it was like, hey, it's learning. What does it look like just to take a swing at the T that God has set up in front of us? And so as a church, what does this look like for us to be aware, to have intimacy and to participate? 
And so for me, I'm going to list a few things, and don't let me pigeonhole you and say this is exactly what you have to do or this is God's purpose for your life. But I do think what would it look like for us to be divinely curious together? And so just a few things that were popping on my mind is like we have a lot of incredible parents in our church that take care of their children and disciple their children, and that is a huge gift. What would it look like for you to leverage that for other kids that don't have that? It's like there are other kids in our community um, that maybe your kids go to school with or that are in your neighborhood with or are in the foster care system in Tennessee. Or what does it look like for you as a parent to say, okay, how do I genuinely take an interest in somebody else's child for their blessing? That's maybe an opportunity. It's not for everybody, but that may be an opportunity that God's putting on your heart for anyone. I'm convinced that in our world, the more technology and the more things that we, we have, the more disconnected we've been than ever. And there are a lot of isolated and lonely people. You probably are with, live within walking distance of somebody who is experiencing loneliness. What would it look like just to befriend them, to not spend every day with them, but what would it look like to just hang out with them every once in a while, get to know them and see what God might do in that conversation? Or maybe a college student. Um, if you're sitting here and thinking, what can I do? What would it look like to room with somebody um, that is not your first choice? Like, what could God, what might God do in that situation? Or for business owners, like it is a kingdom gift and opportunity to be able to provide for other people to be able to make a living. So what does it look like to look for opportunities that you can to walk with people and give them an opportunity to, to better their life and better their family? There are thousands of ways. There are thousands of opportunities that God might be stirring in us when we realize that we're not just saved from death, but we're saved into a relationship and that we were saved for a purpose. What is the T that God has placed in front of us and how can we take a swing and I'm convinced that sometimes we'll hit a home run, sometimes we'll get, a, get on base, sometimes we may just hit the tee and the ball will dribble off and we're just going to sprint towards first base. But whatever it is, can we be a community that just goes for it, that believes Ephesians 2 verse 10, that God is working in our lives right now for a purpose and he set up some tees and will we have the vision just to see it, to identify it and just to take a swing? What would that look like? I think that would be incredible to do if we could be a people that realize we are saved for a purpose. So how do we begin? So thinking about this and as we wrap up, for, for those of you who do not believe in Jesus yet, my message to you this morning is that there is purpose and meaning and life in Jesus. Like whatever you're chasing in life, everything I've chased, chased other than Jesus has left me wanting. And I just realized that there is purpose and meaning and life. If you want to talk about that, um, we have people at the Respond Banner each week that would love to pray with you, talk with you. Um, I'm not going to try to convince you of anything, but just to listen and to pray with you. Like, I guarantee you there is purpose in what sometimes seems like a meaningless and empty life. There is purpose for you, for those of you who don't believe. And for Christians, this week, let's identify one ball that we can take a swing at. What is something that God has placed in your path this week that he's just going to say, hey, go for it? Learn how to do that and bring along people with you to talk about it so that you actually follow through with it and that you can celebrate with them when it goes well and you can laugh about it when it doesn't and just figure out what does it look like to take a swing this week. And so let's go in community and do that. And so in just a moment, we're going to take communion. And my challenge for you during communion is just to, to remind each other that you are new creations because of Jesus. Like, that is the truth. So over your time of communion, remind each other that you are new creations because of Jesus and that in him, you have a divine purpose that he's working out. So let's, people, let's be people that discover that. So 
I'm going to pray, and then I'll send us out into communion. Just remind each other that you are new creations in Jesus and that God is orchestrating a purpose for your life. Jesus, we thank you for um, speaking to us this morning. God, thank you for being here. Will you just stir in our hearts, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, this word. Lord, let it infiltrate our hearts and our minds. Um, God, and let it lead us to action. Let us be a people that just goes for it. God, that looks for opportunities that you have placed in front of us that sometimes seem intimidating or like we don't have the ability for. God, will you just um, help us have the courage to take a swing? God, will you give us people in our lives that will support us, that will join in the game with us? Lord, let us be a people that really believe this. Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your abundant grace and kindness that you've shown us. May we proclaim that to the world this week. It's in your name we pray. Amen.